0: At How To ABA, we provide practical resources, community, and support to ABA professionals. In each episode of our podcast, we will be having real conversations with real people, sharing real stories about ABA.
1: We'll share relevant strategies and actionable tips that will make us all better ABA practitioners. It's the ABA content you need that you're not going to learn in a textbook. Hi, everyone. Today, we thought we'd do a podcast on what has really changed in the field? Um, you know, our field is constantly learning and growing and evolving. And we've been in the field for, you know, a, a number of years. And so, we thought it would be an interesting conversation to talk about what has changed and really what still needs to change. So, um, I'll leave most of this to Shayna because you've really been in the field for a long time. What is it, 20 years now? I've been in the field
0: since 1997, so Sheer, it's going to be 2022, so 25 years. Wow, wow! Well, I, I'm a baby. I've only been around for 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> so Sheer and I started brainstorming this list, and I thought, you know what? There'll be three things on this list. This list is massive. We just started writing things out, and it just kept going and going and going. And Sheer, I'm really excited to be talking about this because our field needed to change. You know, when I got into this field. Um, I thought it was wonderful. It was awesome. I was, quote unquote, fixing kids with autism. And I, you know, looking back, that terminology makes me shudder. And I love the fact that our field is moving towards acceptance. And it's not about fixing kids they don't need to be fixed they need to be celebrated and you know autism acceptance should be there and the advocacy should be there you know we're just really teaching them in ways that maybe they don't learn from a group so we're teaching them in other ways where they can learn and and that's really what autism awareness needs to be about and you know the field of aba is going there and i'm super excited about that so give us a little glimpse into what it was like 25 years ago Whew. Okay, I will tell you, um, you know, things that used to happen, um, you know, we supervision was minimal. Um, you know, primarily, you know, most ABA places would work in kids' basements. Um, I don't know why it was always a basement, but it was always a basement. Um, sometimes it was a bedroom, but most of the time it was a basement, and uh, it would be lonely. You know, you'd go in there, and you know, there'd be a supervisor who wasn't a BCBA because there was no such thing as a BCBA. Was there even a board <laughs> at that point? No, there was no, no board. There was no nothing. It was, like, you know, I got wild west of ABA. I got into the field and, you know, my mom was like, autism, is that like Rain Man? You know, that movie that just came out, that's like Rain Man, right? I'm like, "Uh, I guess, I think so, except my client doesn't like underwear from Kmart. So maybe it's not quite like Rain Man. That's how it was. There was no, like, nobody really knew what autism even was, um, let alone ABA. And, you know, I told my mom about ABA and my mom said, oh, so you babysit kids with autism. I just paid a whole bunch of money for you to go to university and now you babysit. Amazing. My mom still thinks I'm
1: like a preschool teacher. So fine, like same. All (laughs) right.
0: Right. Um, anyway, I have to say my mom is very much improved in the field. She's, uh, you know, follows us on Instagram and she's one of the very first people. She's who the first there. to like and share. everything. She she's <laughs> one of the first people that joins when we go live. Um, anyway, going back to how the field has changed. Uh, you know, so that's what it was like. You know, you'd go into someone's home. Uh, you know, your supervisor was not a BCBA. You know, your supervisor was typically somebody who was in school for ABA um, or in school for psychology, you know, read about this in a textbook. Uh, you know, there was an old, I call it the Catherine Maurice manual, I still have it somewhere, it's a picture of like, this big kid's face. And, you know, we followed that manual to a T, and it was check, check, check. Um, we didn't have enables, we didn't have a vb map or a peak or anything else. That was truly what we did. Um, we didn't really focus in on manding, it was really about receptive and expressive language. And there was this, you know theory at the time that was, while well, you teach receptive language, receptive language leads to expressive language and expressive language, you know, is expressive language. We really didn't use the word manding, even though Skinner came out, what, in 1954 and talked about manding? some reason it was gone. Um, so it was really a whole about a whole bunch of flashcards at a table. And, you know, when kids were two years old, the very first thing we did with them instead of pairing and instead of, you know, playing with them on the floor and teaching them play skills and joint attention, it was got to get to that table and got to get those flashcards out. Um, and that was really what ABA was 20 years ago. And I think
1: there was also a focus, you know, at least when I started on it being about making them like seem normal or look normal. And that meant that it was a lot of reducing the stims and getting rid of the stereotypy and having them not do those things. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So it was really about, you know, like you have to sit. I call it sit pretty, right? But you need to sit up straight like and I agree there needs to be even to now there needs to be a certain extent of, of learning readiness but you know what if somebody's like doing this with their fingers and they're still focusing on what we're talking about let them do this with their fingers not a huge deal um, and I just realized I'm on a podcast and nobody can see what I'm doing with my fingers um, but uh, you know it, Back then it was all about no, like you need to, very strict, very like, okay, sit at the table, your hands need to be crossed and folded in front of you, your feet need to be flat on the floor, and you need to look right in my eyes or right between, you know, right between my eyes to my nose, look there, then I present the SD, then you respond, then you look back up, and as soon as you look back up, I give you that token. Very, very, very rigid. And I look back at that and I shudder. You know, I go, oh, you know, um, A, do I really care about eye contact anymore? Yeah, you know, I, I care about attending. Absolutely attend to what I'm doing so that you can focus. But eye contact, eh, not really. Um, you know, and my my younger self would shudder and go, "You need eye contact. You need you need to be sitting. You know, have a student sit on their hands if they're engaging in any kind of whatever." Um, and now, you know, not just for people with autism, but in the general population, fidget toys are massive. I wish I had gotten on that bandwagon and like <laughs> <laughs> become a manufacturer in fidget toys, right? Um, it's true. We've
1: learned so much about autism over the last 20 years, which is still something that, you know, the medical fields are figuring out, right? It used to be that um, autism was an umbrella term for, and you get a, a diagnosis of Asperger's or pdod or autism, and they were separated. and And then with the DSM-5, they merged them all into one diagnosis of ASD. And while that has some pros. I think it changes the way that we treat autism, right? Cause now we're getting um, kids who are really what would have been called Asperger's or um, and are now coming to us for ABA because they have a diagnosis of ASD and their treatment looks totally different than what it would look like for, you know, what used to be called autism, which is, you know, a child who's coming to us, who, is not speaking yet, and who might be aggressive or has some self injurious behavior or isn't toilet trained, you know, you're going to look at that child very differently than a child who's coming with an ASD diagnosis who is fully verbal, somewhat social, and, you know, has perseverations. So, and you're going to treat those very differently. And I don't think as a field, we're quite equipped to keep up with that. And I think we're still trying to learn about how to address all those differences within one diagnosis. And I'm also seeing that, you know, as a field, what parents are advocating for is for separating those once again, because they're not, the kids who are really needing ABA and really need that intense treatment are not getting what they need because the people who are advocating on the advocacy side, that they don't need treatment and, you know, ABA isn't really what they need. They also have ASD. And I think those messages are not the same. And I believe that we're going to need to separate those once again so that the different types of people are getting what they need. And if there's a community that feels like they don't need ABA and they have ASD, great. Maybe they don't need ABA, but I think it undermines the community who really does feel like that treatment would be helpful to their kids, you know, not injuring themselves, not being aggressive, having more self-help skills, being able to be more independent. So I think that the field is going to move in that direction.
0: There's so much, Shira, that you just said there that I wanna pull apart and go on like 18 million different tangents. One of the things that you said, you know, is treatment. You know, you've used the word treatment, ABA treatment, ABA therapy. And you know, I look to say, okay, well, you know, we used to call ABA treatment, we used to call it therapy fine. I mean, we still can. But what are we treating? What are we doing? And by using that terminology, it makes it sound like we're still trying to quote unquote, fix people and change people. And I really do think we need to get away from that term of ABA treatment, we want to call it ABA education, or ABA skill acquisition, something along that lines, because you know, the minute you start calling it therapy, or treatment, it sounds to me like I want to change the core of somebody. And I think, that's where we need to move away from as a field. Um, You know, you also mentioned just in terms of, you know, ASD and this massive diagnosis. Now, um, there's a lot of pros to that, meaning that, you know, it's really great. We've seen a lot of insight now from people who you know previously were diagnosed with Asperger's now being lumped in with you know autism and autism spectrum and they're saying this is because they're verbal, they can say this is the way I think, you know, and this is what you know, this is you know how I act and I act like this because I think it's giving us a lot of really great valuable insight into terms of you know people we're treating. Um, But you're right on the flip side of it, you know, you've got you know people who on the other side of the spectrum are super, super delayed, non-vocal, um, maybe cognitively smart, but we don't know it because they're not talking, um, but have very limited life skills. Um, and the, the, I was going to say treatment, the the education, look at me stumbling on my words, but we need to change this terminology. Um, You know, this education does need to look different, you know, and I, I think about, you know, general practitioner, like a family doctor, you know, a general practitioner is somebody, you know, you go to for everything. And it seems like that's what ABA is. It's like, you know, as an ABA therapist, I'm expected to know how to, you know, implement toileting and sleep programs and eating programs, as well as, you know, speech and language and, you know, emotional regulation and social skills and this and feature function class and blah, 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 blah. I think we really do as a field need to start specializing more and recognizing that and saying, yeah, you know what? You're right. ASD is so diverse um, that we need to make ABA more diverse and there needs to be very specialty compartments to it. Because, you know, people with very mild ASD who are speaking out against ABA, you know what, they have every right to do so because that treatment for them wasn't crucial. But for somebody who has severe ASD, and you know, needs to stop headbanging, um, you know, they should develop some self help skills, like basic toileting and dressing skills that I think are just I call them basic dignity skills. You don't want to be naked in front of somebody else um, and put yourself in that vulnerable position. Um, That's a whole other form of ABA um, and ABA education that um, should be promoted for you know people like that.
1: Yeah, and I think that you know the perception that ABA is a treatment is a really good point. I think that we need to change the perception. The perception has to start with us making the changes, but what we're struggling against and we're, we're what we're up against is this perception that, and I work in a lot of classrooms, and ABA happens all the time in these classrooms and they'll be using visual schedules and they'll have reinforcement systems and they'll be using first end. But that's not seen as ABA for some reason, but ABA is seen as this, like you sit at a table and you look at flashcards and you're going to respond and I'm going to give you an edible every time you respond. And I'll say I'm up against this perception, even amongst other therapists that I work with. So even amongst different departments and people who work in this field still don't realize that ABA is not just that, that having ABA in, in a classroom, like, what is that even called? Right? It's not, it's not even called ABA because you're not putting a kid at a table and showing them flashcards. So like it kind of makes us uncomfortable about like, well, well, what is that really? And I think that we're trying to change the perception that ABA is not about a rigid, sit at a table, and I'll give you an edible system. But if you walk into our ABA clinic, you probably wouldn't even see a kid sitting at a table. You'll see them playing on the floor. You'll see them blowing bubbles. You'll see a lot of natural environment teaching. Um, And that surprises people. And I think that we have to figure out how to spread that message and how to let people know that we've moved away from that, you know, very rigid DTT style of ABA. And that ABA is really happening everywhere and letting people know about how much it's changed and how we're so much more compassionate and so much more looking at the whole child. You know, we have this perception of also people need ABA when they have challenging behavior. And when they have a challenging behavior, you're going to sit them at a table and have these rigid consequences. Like, well, you wanted to escape from the demand, I'm going to make you follow through. You are acting out for attention. I'm just going to ignore you. And that's really not what we do. Um, I will never write a behavior plan that's consequence focused. They're almost never even a consequence. Like there's always proactive strategies. It's always about relationship building and how can we change the environment to, to help the child instead of how can I change the child to match the environment? And I think that's a really big shift where it used to be about changing the child because the environment is not going to change. The world is the way it is, and you're going to change as a child. And I think we're moving towards, well, we're accepting this child. How can we change the environment? Does that mean they need more visuals? Does that mean they need you know, a couple reminders or a more supportive environment or a less noisy environment or less distracting? Um, and that's something that we now as professionals just have to spread the word about.
0: ABA does need better promotion. You know, we need some, we need some PR here, right? (laughs) Quinn and I are a really good PR person. Um, You know, it's not about, uh, you know, separation anymore, you know, going into a separate classroom and doing very much desk style, discrete trial training. And don't get me wrong, that still happens sometimes because somebody might need that or that's part of their, you know, IEP. But For the most part, ABA is a lot more natural. You know, it's a lot more student-focused. It's a lot more client-goal-oriented versus this is what we want and this is what we're imposing on you, period. Um, Sure, I like how you said, you know, we're not changing the child to fit into the environment, but changing the environment to to fit the child, right? And, and I've always been told that the child's not learning the way you're teaching, change the way you're teaching. Um, and that is what ABA is now moving towards. And I love that. And I love that, that it's continuing to do that.
1: Mm-hmm. With our latest, um, you know, ethics, ethical code update, and I think that was just in the last year, you know, we were coming out with as a field an emphasis on cultural competence and diversity and looking at not each child is the same because they come from a different family and each family might have different expectations. And taking that into account, I mean, this is only in the last year that we're recognizing that this needs to even be part of our ethical code um, and recognizing our own biases towards that. Like when we're approaching a family and we want there to be a goal for Um, you know, independence or sitting at a table, and those might not be important to the family, then we need to change the way that we approach these things with recognizing that we now have an emphasis on that diversity and cultural competence and um, recognizing where we might be um, placing our own expectations on the families.
0: Yeah, and that's so exciting for me that finally, 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 it's clients' Client focused. And, you know, we always thought, oh, yeah, no, it's client focused. For sure it is. And then you look back and go, oh my gosh, it so wasn't client focused. You know, I wanted them to get inside this box and I tried to make (laughs) them go inside of this box, Um, which is, you know, looking back going, oh, wow, that's totally crazy. Um, So I really love the fact that we are starting to focus more on, you know, that diversity and inclusion piece of it. Um, I also love the fact that now it's starting to become a bit more client goal oriented. And, you know, it's, it's about, you know, asking clients, if they're capable of answering, you know, asking clients what they want to learn, you know, what are client goals? Um, and this whole, you know, ACT act stuff, right, the acceptance commitment therapy, you know, I'm able to ask some of my clients, like, okay, what are your values towards this after I teach them what values are? Um, but what are your values towards this? And how do you want to get there? And how can we help you get there? You know, what are some of your goals that I've actually done some really great goal setting with some of my clients who can talk and um, I love that. And um, you know and some of the, the clients who you know don't always understand it's still being able to be nice to get that client assent. And what do I mean by that is that you know I may develop some you know educational strategies for you know kids I work with based on our goals but based on parent goals as well and then if there are clients who at least understand being able to get some kind of assent um, for that in an agreement by in mm-hmm. an- and what I
1: would love to see from the field, and I hope we're moving in this direction, is so often you just hear this like ABA autism ABA autism autism ABA and like they're so closely paired together. I would love for ABA to help more people than you know just people with an ASD diagnosis. Right now there's no funding for that unless uh, that I'm aware of unless you have an ASD diagnosis. Um, it's very hard to access ABA without an ASD diagnosis, and I would love for people to know that there's a solution out there if your child is struggling with behavior management or with regulation or with any any goals that don't. Don't fall necessarily into the ASD category that. Um, there's a really great solution. Like we have some really amazing technologies and we have some really amazing protocols and um, skills that we can share with the world outside of ASD. So I would really love for that to happen. And the same way I would love for ASD to break away from just needing ABA. Um, I think we're moving towards a world where we're seeing this multidisciplinary approach being more effective than just living, limiting the you know, the treatment to ABA and kids now with ASD can get funding for at least where we are, the funding was only for ABA. Now it's starting to open up where the funding you're allowed to use it on things like occupational therapy and speech therapy, even respite sometimes, you know, recognizing that ABA is not the beyond end all for kids with ASD. And, um, you know, the other way around also that so many other kids can benefit from what ABA has to offer.
0: Yeah. And I think that Just in general, ABA, um, you know, being able to be more compassionate in our field as well, right? So, you know, recognizing that ABA isn't just for kids with autism, but for, you know, people with acquired brain injury, uh, people with Down syndrome, people with other diagnoses, people who don't have diagnoses, um, but who need visual schedules, um, you know, older people who, you know, may be suffering from dementia. um, ABA can help a lot in using those strategies. Um, I laugh because she and I were just talking about Starbucks and Starbucks. Rewards. Guess what? They've, they've figured out ABA, um, which is amazing. But, you know, and then I touched on, you know, we touched on compassionate care as well. And I love the fact that our field is moving towards that. And that it's not about just developing a behavior plan, because we need a behavior plan for the insurance company, or we need a behavior plan, because, you know, this kid's engaging in negative behavior, it needs to be stopped. Um, it's about really incorporating parents into that. And, 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 and this sounds silly, but answering the phone when parents call, right? Sometimes it's like, I'm busy. I got to write this report. I'll talk to the parent later. Um, but it's no, it's like, listen, like, I'm going to have compassion. This is your child. This person that I'm writing a report for is a person and they, you know, you need to recognize that. And it's silly, because, of course, you recognize that at some kind of level. But, you know, when you've got, you know, 50 clients on your caseload, at some point in time, sometimes you, you lose sight of that. And I love the fact that ABA is getting back to that and saying, uh uh-uh. uh like, person centered, you know, person needs to come first, compassionate, you know, regardless of who these people are, you know, uh, they're somebody's kid. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I love that. And there's some really amazing
1: people who are really moving this field forward in that area. Um, you know, Dr. Hanley is doing amazing things in the treatment of challenging behavior in a in a, a compassionate and you know sensitive way. Dr. Bridget Taylor is also you know really pushing the field in that direction. There are some really amazing people who are. Um, Really helping the field change and grow. If you haven't checked those people out yet, I highly recommend it. Um, really educate yourself on a lot of us were trained years ago. Things have changed. And sometimes when you're in the thick of it, you, it's hard to take yourself out of it and be able to see what, how we need to change as people. So look for those opportunities to do better and to learn better and to um, just experience, have a, provide a better experience for our families and our kids.